episode 26 of the build which is a great one for two reasons one it's the first one that doesn't involve the preseason well we're going to talk about it but we're out of the preseason now so it's it's like it's gone uh and secondly because i'm recording this on canadian thanksgiving um to all our canadian listeners i hope you had some good food good times with your friends and family um as an American, I'm always kind of jealous of Canadian Thanksgiving because we go so long without a holiday in the States from like the summer um, into, you know, through the fall. Like we don't, you know, up until American Thanksgiving, which is the like the third or fourth Thursday in November shows what I know. Um, yeah. So enjoy. I hope you guys had fun um, because th- this episode is not entirely all fun. But it's mostly fun, I think. Um, I have a very long outline in front of me, so we'll get to that in a second. But first, um, I wanted to note the schedule for this podcast is going to be a bit weird moving forward, at least for the next few weeks. Um, You'll have an episode from me this week, this one right now, uh, and next week. And then after that, I will be gone for a week, maybe two. Um, One week for the honeymoon after my wedding, because podcasting you know, while you're on your honeymoon, I think is frowned on. Um, And then I'll be back eventually. I did say that there was going to be a guest on this episode, and I lied. And that's my fault. I had something set up, the guest was ready to go, and then I had to call it off at the last second because I was stuck at work. So apologies. Um, They will be on eventually. Um, But sorry for that. There won't be a guest. You just have to listen to me today. Um. So the preseason's over. That's good because uh, it was bad. (laughs) It was not very inspiring hockey. It generally isn't, but especially this season for reasons that I've pointed out on this show before, it just was not good. Um, That being said, you know, if we see the Canadians lose this much in the regular season, we're probably okay with it because the prize at the end of that is... uh, quite impressive. Um, But before we get to the regular season, let's tie a bow on the the preseason. I wanted to talk about some surprises, um, both positive and negative, um, from the Canadians. Because I think there was, as as bad as the overall result was from these games, there were nice things to to take away. Um, So I'll start with the positives. Um, For starters, I thought Kirby Doc had a fantastic preseason. Um, Listeners of this show and people who follow me on Twitter will know that I'm kind of reluctant to believe that he's going to show up in Montreal um, and be a 50-point guy rolling out of bed. But as the preseason went on, you started to see it. Um, not necessarily that production, but the reason that people were, were reaching that conclusion, right? That, you know, he is this big, lanky center who moves pretty well through the neutral zone. Um, I thought as it went, as the preseason went on and as he got more reps, he got better at zone entries. Um, you know, he set up a goal. I think it was, yeah, it was Gooley's, um, goal against the Jets where he entered the zone on the power play, just kind of went through a guy and then dropped past it back to Gooley. Um, he's not a great skater, but he is a good skater. Um, you know, I think that his first game was rough. It was really, really bad. That could be said about literally every other player on the team. So I don't, I'm not taking that away from, Caden Gooley, Gooley. not him either. We'll get to him soon. Uh, Kirby Doc. Um, 
if he can maintain the momentum that he was starting to build throughout the um the preseason, I think he can he'll be one of the Canadians to hit the ground running in the regular season. He you know got through without injury, which is kind of an achievement after seeing the Canadians list of injuries today. Um I think like if he's if he continues to to play at this pace and it's not reasonable to expect that he'll stay doing this for the entire season. Um but if he keeps doing this, he might be one of the guys in the, after the first month of the season who we're looking back on and saying he was one of our best players. Um, I still don't know if the goal or the point totals are going to hit those lofty numbers that people had, um, but this is a good player, and I'm excited to see more of him, especially considering he's very young, and the Canadians have him. You know, it's, he's a young player at a premium position that the Canadians have locked up for quite some time at a pretty reasonable number. Um, and speaking of the player I was also talking about when I when I was discussing Doc, um, Caden Gooley had an NHL level preseason. Um, this was another prospect that the fan base was sort of like foaming at the mouth over, and for good reason, right? Like he does all the stuff that we want a defenseman to do. He's physical. He's got some offensive upside. At least through the preseason, he was scoring some goals. I I don't know how well that'll translate to the regular season, but we'll see. Um, he scored a goal from the point against Ottawa. I think it was in one of the Hockeyville games. And you'll have to excuse me because neither of those games were broadcasted in the States. And I was not finding an illegal stream for a Canadian's preseason that I did nothing but complain about. Um, so I exercised some self-care and did not watch those games. Um, but, you know, I think he's got some offensive upside. When he scored that goal from, you know, basically the blue line on Ottawa, all I could think of was was... Alexander Romanov, who always shot the puck from out there and never scored. Um, I, I forgot that people could score from that far out, honestly. Like, there aren't many Canadians defensemen who are even even good at getting pucks through traffic from that distance. So um, that's something to keep an eye on. At, at, at this point, and I, I wrote this before it was noted that he was staying in Montreal, I said that he wasn't even a candidate to go to Laval. He was, a, he's a Canadian. Um, he's not just a kid that's going to be along for the ride for the experience. Like he's one of Montreal's best defensemen, even before some of the injuries that happened. Um, he might not play every night once the season gets going. We'll have to see how that, how the ice time actually works out. Um, you know how coaches are with wanting to see young guys, they're wanting their young guys to see the game from the press box, you know, just to get a different angle on things. Um, but that's a player. Montreal has a player there. Um, I thought that when Montreal waived Corey Schooneman on Monday, or on Sunday, rather, that 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 kind of solidified that Caden Gooley was here. Because I, I kind of looked at Bowie, um, Bowie and Schooneman as sort of the benchmarks that young players needed to su- surpass supplant in the lineup supplant I don't know um and he did that he was just better than than Shinneman and and Bowie by leaps and bounds um another surprise Brennan Gallagher's back and not just the guy that wore number 11 last year like the it looks like a pretty good version of Brendan Gallagher um which was good to see for a few reasons for for one obviously he's one of the uh, motors on this team, if not the most important motor on this team. Um, if he's going, his teammates are going to be going. That's sort of just what we've come to expect from Gallagher whenever he's on the ice. And two, 
and this is the business side of things talking, so excuse me for the callousness of this, but if you ever want to trade him, his value can't be as low as it was last year. I can already hear some of you guys booing for suggesting that Gallagher could be traded, and I don't even know that I want him traded, um, but there are there are very few untouchables on this roster, and if someone offers you the the a good a good package for Brendan Gallagher, which I think someone in this in this league would do, you know, if the if his play value was back up to where it's supposed to be, um, you should take it. Um, yes, he has no trade protection. No, that does not mean he cannot be traded. It just means he has control over where he gets traded. I believe he has a six-team no-trade list. So there are 26 teams, 25 teams, because he can't be traded to the Canadians, 25 teams he can be traded to. Um, at any rate, it's just nice to see him back healthy, contributing again. Um, he was sort of a, a, a piece last year that, you know, he sort of a canary in the coal mine where if, if Gallagher was having the year that he was having, like, you know, if you looked at just Gallagher's numbers in a vacuum, you looked at a Canadian and you, you didn't see what the rest of the Canadians did and you saw Gallagher's numbers, you'd probably go, well, the Canadians probably sucked that year. And, you know, I, I think this team is going to, to to some extent, go as he goes. Um, it'll be nice to get his production back. Just his overall play on the ice um, being back up to snuff is is a win-win. Um, file this under not really a surprise, but still kind of a surprise. Uh, Cole Caulfield still knows how to score. Um, throughout the preseason, I think he was tied for the lead, the league lead in power play goals with four. Um, and I think he led the, the league in shots. The only, I think the only game he played where he didn't score was the first Hockeyville game in, in uh, Newfoundland. One thing about the preseason that I think you can kind of take away as a positive is that the Canadians power play looked decent it didn't look great but there's a legitimate weapon there in Cole Caulfield and a willingness from the rest of the team to get that weapon the puck which when Cole Caulfield started the season last year that was not the case um, whether that was Dom Ducharme playing him as the in the bumper spot which we all rationalized at the time but looking back on it, it was very stupid, right? Like it, I probably talked about it on this podcast about how like they compared him to Braden point being in the bumper. Well, he's not Braden point. He's Cole Caulfield. He's got a very, very good shot. You need to use it. Um, and secondly, I think that the, the, whoever's playing the point is going to focus on getting him the puck, which is not something we could have said last year. I love Jeff Petrie dearly. I don't think he could have picked Cole Caulfield out of a police lineup. Like it was just, they were not they were not looking his way very often um and i think having more threats to score out there are going it's going to give Cole Caulfield the breathing room that he needs nick suzuki's going to be opposite him um they try they had yesi ulinen um in the bumper he's obviously back down in um laval at this point i wonder if it's going to be like i wonder if it's going to be gallagher i wonder if it's going to be monahan they tried him in there i think a little bit um, anyway, that's a different discussion about the power play, but, um, you know, the, the, the injury to Nick Suzuki didn't really let us see a, a ton of, you know, regular line mates for Caulfield, but if Suzuki re remains healthy, it looks like he will start the season for the Canadians. He'll be there for opening night. Um, and if they're playing together, you know, they're, they're probably playing with, with Josh Anderson on the other side, if I had to bet, um. I don't 
<clears throat> I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that, but I, you know, that's, it's not my, you know, I'm not saying that I want him there. I'm saying the Canadians are probably likely to put him there. And sure enough, when the, the lines rolled out on Monday morning, that was the line. So we'll see. Um, but, it, you know, in the time he spent with Kirby Doc as well, I thought he looked good. Cole Caulfield, that is. Um, if in the future Montreal is looking to separate, like if they're looking to avoid a matchup, like get Caulfield away from somebody or get Suzuki away from somebody, splitting them up is a good way to do it. Um, and, you know, putting Caulfield with a big body like Doc will probably take a lot of heat off of Caulfield. Not, not you know, from an enforcer standpoint, but from a, you know, the defensemen are going to go to the big guy in front of the net instead of Cole Caulfield hanging out in, in the margins. Um, so a great preseason for Cole Caulfield. He's, as I predict, will be for the, the regular season. He was the brightest uh, point of a somewhat dim preseason for Montreal. Um, and I think the last good surprise I had, I'm sure there's others, but Arbor Jackai, who did make the team, uh, even though he is on a paper transaction to go to Laval for uh, a reason that I'll get to later. Um, Arbor Jackai is an NHL option for the Canadians. These are not words that I thought I was going to say headed into camp. Um, yeah, he had the fights, he had big hits, but he was also just pretty sound defensively. Um, some of the metrics that I was that I was seeing around him were that, like, whenever he's on, he like he, he whenever he's on, his team is just generating shots, which is good because it means that he's not spending a ton of time in his defensive zone. But also, you know, they're pushing the play the other way. Um, so I think he's a legitimate option. I'm, I was happy to see him. He's a, he's a really cool story. Um, you know, he he. I think he just signed his entry level deal a year ago. He's he before that he was working at Costco to to pay for his training, and now he's playing for the Montreal Canadiens. Like that's a, it's a really really cool story. Um, I think of him as this year's Corey Shuneman in a way, you know, because he can just. He'll come in, he'll play lower pairing roles. Maybe he'll get a role on the penalty kill. We'll see how the season develops. But um, just a really a really good feel-good story for the Canadians. And he drives Sens fans mad, which is why everyone likes him the most. Okay. Bad surprises. Um, I will say this bluntly, knowing full well that uh, this player did make the roster. Um Uri Slavkovsky, I don't think, is ready for the NHL. I just, um, it was, and it, that is that is surprising, right? Like, it's not like we went into this expecting him to not play in the NHL. And he's going to play in the NHL. Whether or not he sticks in this league is yet to be determined. Sticks in the league this season. I'm not calling him a bust immediately. Um, for, one of the reasons it was surprising is just, you know, not a lot of people watched him play outside of the Olympics and maybe World Juniors. And we were told by folks who, who knew or, you know, uh, gave off that they knew what they were talking about with prospects. A lot of them were saying that he was the most NHL-ready prospect available in the draft. I think I saw Sebastian High tweet today that, you know, there, there aren't many NHL prospects from this year's draft who are ready for the NHL. I think he listed uh, Marco Casper as the only one that's like legitimately ready for the NHL. So it's not a slight to Uri Slavkovsky to say, you know, oh, well, it's bad that he's not ready for the NHL. Most of them aren't. But it is surprising given that a lot of people who knew him were saying that he was the most ready prospect for 
the NHL. Um, the reality of it is also that he was outplayed by by uh, Owen Beck and and his friend Philip Mayshar, um, two guys that were taken after him in the entry draft. Again, the order doesn't matter. They didn't draft Slavkovsky to be better today. They drafted him to be better in 5, 10, 15 years. Um, and, you know, it's surprising in the sense that not many forwards taken first overall are cut from their NHL team and head and head back to another league. Um, the example that I kept hearing on broadcasts was that Slavkovsky would have been the first forward picked first overall since Joe Thornton to not play in the NHL in their first season. And I don't know maybe if I misunderstood that, but that's not true because I looked it up and Joe Thornton was drafted in 1997 and he played games for the Bruins in 1997. He was injured in the preseason, but he still he, he played games for them. Um, he wasn't cut. He wasn't good either, but he did play. Um, there were too many games in the preseason, and I say too many with, you know, tongue-in-cheek because they only played eight and he only played in four of them. Um, but there were too many games where you you wondered where he was, right? Like, the, the impact wasn't there. And when you're a guy as big as him, you know, the 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 20 on the back of his jersey might as well look like a bullseye. Like, we're all looking for him. Every time he's on the ice, we're looking for Big Slefkowski. And when you don't show up, or I don't want to say don't show up, but when you don't pop off the score sheet, or when you don't, you know, you're you're not bringing the crowd to their feet, or even just making good plays most of the time, it it because you stand out when you're when you're that when you have that profile. Um, I thought he was given a bunch of opportunities in the top six. It looks like even heading into the regular season, he'll still be in the top six. Although maybe I think his line is the. I think he's playing on the dock line. I can't remember. Um, but, you know, he's going to get opportunities to play with NHL players. He's not playing on the fourth line. He's playing with 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 guys who can score and and produce in this league. So if it doesn't, if, if in the next few games when we're watching him, it doesn't work, like we'll know that he's not, we'll know for sure he's not ready. Remember, they have that nine-game tryout essentially um, before they burn a year of his deal. I think it would be really nice to not burn a year of his deal because imagine a future where the Canadians, you know, finish dead last. Slavkovsky doesn't burn that year of his deal. They once again win the draft lottery. And next year they've got Connor Bedard and Uri Slavkovsky a year into his development, both on three-year entry-level deals. Like this, 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 you know, rebuild, retool, build, whatever you're calling it, um, suddenly gets a, a really good jump start. Um, it's not complete because none of those guys play defense, um, and we need those. But, um, you know, I think that that's, to me, like him not playing in the NHL for a full season, is the, it's the, it would be the goal for me. But, again, it's real personal preference, and they want to give him a shot. We'll see how it goes. Um, in his games, Natural Stat Trick has him with the second most individual scoring chances at all strengths on the Canadians. Um which is all well and good, but he also had the most ice time among Habs forwards in the preseason. Um, so that that kind of, if you're just going based on like how much time he's on the ice, like it, it makes sense that he's he's generating scoring chances. I will say where he was most noticeable was in the offensive zone. So I guess that's, you know, the best thing about him. He he didn't look brutal defensively. Um, some lapses here or there, sure, but um, you know. 
Chris Weidman's on this team make, still making lapses here or there defensively. Um, by the way, I mentioned that he was he, Slavkovsky led the Canadians forwards in ice time in the preseason. Jordan Harris led the defenseman in preseason ice time. So that's pretty cool. Um, he very quietly had a good camp. He didn't, you know, he's not a guy that popped off the screen either, but he was still very, very effective. And I'm excited to see him make the Canadians and, and um, you know, play meaningful minutes in the NHL. Um, the Canadians with Slavkovsky luckily have three, three, but really two options that are not the NHL. He can go play junior hockey. He's not going to do that. So it's not an option as far as I'm concerned. Um, he can go to Laval. It seems to be the most popular spot for him since he'll be close by. The Canadians will still event essentially control his, uh, his development. Sorry, I'm going to a phone call. I'm turning this off. It's very rude of me. Who's calling me anyway uh <laughs> um they can still control his development in laval and you know this season i feel this season i feel like could descend into chaos rather quickly and if that's the case you kind of don't want him around for it you just don't want to i you don't want to put him in that um so that's an option he can go to laval um or he can just go to back to finland and I, I don't know if I I don't know if I like this option the most, but I've been slowly talking myself into it not being ridiculous. Um, he can go back and play with TPS Turku. That's the team that, that I believe still owns his rights um, in the Finnish league. I think the, the reason I like it the most is it it, it keeps the Canadians out of their own way. Um, the, if he's in Laval and a guy gets hurt, like I don't want I I and this is me personally, and this is not something that like I have any sort of reason to believe is is a, a development tactic other than the fact that it sort of just defies conventional reason, wisdom of hockey players, which is that they love routine. If you have him in Laval and he's a call-up option every time someone gets hurt, I, I just I don't think it's a good idea to yo-yo him back and forth between Montreal and Laval. I just don't. And if they, if they send him to Laval, I think they should commit him to playing for the Laval Rocket this year. Maybe call him up at the end of the season, but that's really that's where I'd be with that. If he goes to Finland, it removes that that risk for not risk, but it removes that option for the Canadians. And I think that would be I think it would just be better served for him to play in like one place for a year, because if you look at like. If you look at, at Slavkovsky over the last year or so, like he's played all over the place. Um and not any one place for any stretch of time. So that's just my personal feelings on it. I don't like again, like I don't know if one option is like demonstrably better than another one. Um but I think either I think either in Laval or if he goes back to Finland, he's gonna end up playing in the world juniors again. So, you know, that's that's a big a big opportunity for him. And it'll be an opportunity to see him on the world stage with his peers. Um, there are places he can play this year that are not Montreal. And I think that that's ultimately where we're headed. But of course, he's going to start with the Canadians. And they will reevaluate within the next nine games. Um, you know, I think it's just an extended look. I don't think it's anything to, to you know, hand ring over. Um, and I, I've talked about this before. I with this podcast one of the things I want to do is 
stop holding this front office accountable for the sins of the past. And that is where I am leaving this. We will see Slavkowski. I'm excited to watch him play. The games that he plays in from a, uh, you know, a, an analysis standpoint are more fun to watch because that's our future. Like the future of the Canadians is right there. Um, so we'll see how it plays out. That was our first negative surprise, and I probably went 15 minutes on. We got to speed this up. Uh, Jonathan Druin had a pretty quiet camp. Uh, he was injured last season. He's still kind of healing from his surgery. He got sick early in camp and missed a game. I think the preseason could have been an opportunity for Jonathan Druin to to sort of reset, find his game a little bit. Not all of it, but just enough to get the ball rolling headed into the regular season. And I just don't think we got that. And I don't think it was really a ton of fault of his own, but in the opportunities that he had, you know, he had a goal on a tap-in rebound. He had two shots total. He had just as many penalties. Um, you know, the this is going to be Jonathan Druen's year machine kicks into high gear at the start of camp every year. And then <laughs> right around the time he changed his number, that machine turned off. Like, it, it, this isn't anything personable, personal about, about Dwayne. This fan base just has these wild expectations for him because of what the former GM paid to get him, both in trade assets and actual dollars, and then what Bergeron showcased him as. And that being the, the team's hometown number one center. I think if you lower your expectations for this player, you'll have a nice middle six winger who will be gone at the deadline if he stays healthy and hopefully brings Montreal a nice package in return. Um, I just I think that we have to give up on the Jonathan Drouin 45-plus point player. I just don't think that that's a reality. Um, I think I just skipped two pages. I did. We're going back. This is a 10-page outline. we got to stick it together. Um, Evgeny Dodonov had a rough camp, too. Um, I, I wrote in my notes. I wrote these on Saturday. I did not get any sleep that night, so I decided to do something with that time. I wrote, uh, Dodonov was the blurst Canadian out there every game he played. Um, there were some moments where you could see chemistry developing between him and Gallagher and Dvorak, you know, where ultimately Dodonov ends up overpassing and botching the play. Um, other moments, you know, that he was looking like he was developing chemistry with the other team. He, he, I, I forget, I think it was the Jets game. He put two goals on Jet sticks at, you know, in the, at, towards the end of that game. And one of them in the last minute of the period, I believe that was, that was one of the mistakes he made. I think he gets this righted with more time. He's debuting in, in, in practice on the fourth line, which I just don't think is a good spot. Um, but he just can't be as passive as he was in the preseason. I think a lot of his problems get solved if he just plays a little bit selfishly. Um, he has scored at least 20 goals four times in his eight-year career. And in the years he didn't score 20, he played four games, 36 games, 15 games, and 55 games. This is a guy who can score. He needs to shoot. Um, I'm not all that worried because even if he's not effective, it's not a massive loss for the Canadians, but it just wasn't a great showing for him in the preseason. Um, is this the last sprint? No, two more. Uh, goaltending outside of Jake Allen was shocking. Um, Jake Allen looked like Jake Allen. He's going to look like, you know, a, a scrambler quarterback with a bad offensive line. He's going to be running for his life on most nights. Um, but he looked good. He's going to keep the Montreal Canadiens in a lot of the games that they play. 
That is his role. I think he understands that to a T. Um, Caden Primo did not look like the Calder Cup uh, playoff Caden Primo. As far as I'm concerned for this season, he is a non-option. If they lose either Allen or Montembeau to injury, like you're probably making a trade for another Andrew Hammond. Because I just... Primo was just giving up goals that we have seen him give up for, for two years now. And those goals are not NHL caliber goals. Um, he needs to stay in the AHL to, to develop. And I, I think, you know, I don't want to make too, too big of the preseason, like a, too big of a deal of what we saw in the preseason. But combining the preseason with what we saw last year in the regular season and what we had seen from Caden Primo before that, I think it's becoming reasonable to question whether or not he has a future in, in the NHL with the Montreal Canadiens. Like, I'm not saying that to be a shock jock to, to, to say something just for the sake of saying it. Like I, I legitimately don't know if this is an NHL goalie because every opportunity he's had, granted some of them were ridiculous where he gets put in on the second half of a back-to-back against Toronto, but there are, he played, he played against Toronto. He played against Ottawa in, in the preseason against their not very good team. And he still was giving up like shots that he cannot give up. So he's a, he's a very frustrating player because I think, you know, he was a late round draft pick. He st- stunned everybody at the world juniors. Everyone's like, wow, this goalie's really good for the Canadians. It looked like found money for Montreal. And then, you know, since turning pro, it just really, other than the playoffs last year for Laval, where he was fantastic, he could turn it on. Ever since turning pro outside of those moments, it was it, it has not been good for Caden Primo. And, you know, Sam Montembeau wasn't much better. He was a little better, but he was still pretty bad. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat the goaltending here. It was not good. Um, I said in an earlier episode, talking about the goaltending in the preseason, but it bears repeating as the regular season gets underway, Montreal does not need goaltenders capable of stealing every game they play in or even a majority of the games they play in. Because I think everyone on that roster sort of realizes that they're not going to win every game, and the expectation is not that they win every game. The expectation is that they, you know, go out there and play every game, which is sad, but that's the reality. Um, The Canadians need a goaltender who is not going to rip defeat from the jaws of victory, which is what we saw from Montembeau and Primo in the preseason and in the regular season last year. Um, The Canadians have a high waiver priority, which they already use in grabbing uh, Jonathan Kovacevic. They did not use it on a goaltender. And I say that because on Monday, um, when we learned about, you know, where the, the waivers ended up, Connor Ingram was a goaltender of, of NHL caliber who was available, and he was picked up by uh, Arizona, meaning meaning Montreal passed on him, and Arizona said, yes, we'll take him. So, you know, some team thought that he was an NHL caliber goaltender. I think it shows to me that Kent Hughes doesn't, th- he either doesn't think that Connor Ingram was an upgrade on Sam Montembeau, or that, you know, the Canadians can find another option at some point because the, like they, I just don't, I don't think that these guys can be the option this year. Um, and Primo's waiver exempt. So he's just going to the AHL. Um, so they need to find goaltending. I think that's, that's where I'm going to land there. It was shockingly bad. 
I'm not looking forward to nights where Jake Allen is not in net. And it stinks because they cannot expect him to play 65 games because he is not, he, he, he can't stay healthy. Like he's been hurt every year he's been here. Um, so I think that they need, they need more options in net. Um, lastly, the five on five play was like horrific for Montreal. Like in the first, I think it was in the first four games. I don't think they scored a five on five goal. Now, this is me. I will stand up on my preseason soapbox and wonder aloud, is it because the Canadians insisted on playing eight preseason games with 74 players using 25 different line combinations according to Natural Stat Trick and not managing to create any kind of chemistry between any of their players at five on five? Perhaps. And that... They, they, Montreal rolled out 25 different forward line combinations, and only two of those played more than one game together. Dodonov, Dvorak, and Gallagher, who as of right now are not even aligned at the NHL level, I believe someone else is in, yeah, because Dodonov's on the fourth line, so they have somebody else in Dodonov's spot, and then the other one was Pitlick, Evans, and Armia, and Pitlick and Evans will be there, but Armia is hurt for the next two weeks. So the only two lines that they played for more than one game in the preseason are not, they're not even lines that we're going to see in the NHL. So, you know, it wasn't great from a five on five standpoint. You could, every game start, every game played out almost exactly the same way. They have nothing going for 20, 30, 35 minutes. And then they, they finally figure it out because the forwards are actually quite talented. Like they're not, they're still a below average forward core, but I don't think they're the 32nd, you know, the 32nd best forward core in the NHL. Like they need, they needed to spend the preseason developing chemistry between those players. And yet for some reason they play eight games with, uh, they invite 74 people to camp like uh, enough of this. Ken Hughes did say that if it was up to him next season, they'll play six instead of eight. And I'm going to take anything I can get. Because this, like, if you're looking at the preseason this year and the what you come up with is anything other than it is too damn long, I don't know that we watched the same preseason. Anyway, I don't think the forward group is um, great, but it's, it's certainly not going to be as bad as it was last year. All right, let's look at the bigger picture here and sort of break down the opening of this uh, 2022-23 NHL season. I'm going to mention gambling for a second. I know that bothers a lot of people. It will be the only time I mention it, and I'm not talking about gambling advice. I just use it. I'm using it to make a point. Vegas has the line for uh, points this year for the Canadians set at 72 and a half points. Um, that's according to DraftKings. That's it. I'm not mentioning it again. Um, only two teams on. On, in the, in the league have a lower line than that. Chicago at 66 and a half and Arizona at 65 and a half. That means they Vegas thinks that Montreal is likely going to be the third worst or the yeah, the third worst team in the NHL. Um that that gives us a good idea of where the rest of the 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 sports world sees the Montreal Canadiens. Um so let's not make any sort of mistake about what this version of the Canadians is supposed to do. This podcast is trying to figure out what the Canadians are doing and how they're trying to build a winner. 
And as I famously said, it is over as soon as they figure out how to win a Stanley Cup and they do it. Um, so every year is going to have different expectations. And we're at the lean years of this. This is a lose hard for Bedard or dishonor for Connor or whatever you want to call it. Um, I also like look silly for Fantilli because if they finish second, then, you know, that's pretty good too. Um, if Montreal finishes in the spot that Vegas has them in, they will draft no lower than sixth, which is great because this draft is very, very, there are a lot of very, very good centers and forwards at the top of this draft. It kind of stinks because Montreal could really use a high caliber defenseman, but that's where they're not going to find it with that early first round pick. They might get it with Florida's pick later on, um, but if they finish where Vegas says they are going to, the lowest they'll pick is sixth. Um, you know, they also have some draft capital in front of them. Maybe they'll be able to move into the top five. Anyway, the fact that I'm starting this preview talking about the 2023 NHL entry draft and its lottery should tell you everything you need to know about what this year for the Canadians is going to be. Um, Joel Edmondson said that the rebuild was last year and this team should be trying to make the playoffs now. I find that I find that admirable. Um I also think there's a strange bit of of cruel irony that he said that and then was immediately uh, <laughs> injured with lower body injury and is out indefinitely. Um, Joel Edmondson is wrong. The playoffs are not a reasonable aspiration for this hockey team this season. That's that I know that the players want to win, but that is not something that I am going to look at and hold this team to as this is where this is how you will be successful this year. Um, because let's look at this. As an exercise, I looked at the first two months of this season's schedule, and I tried to find games where the Canadians were likely going to have just as much of a chance to win as their opponent. I'm not looking for locks where I'm like, Montreal should expect to win that hockey game. I'm looking at games that might be a coin flip or a little bit better. So I count, let's let's go through the games. We have this is this is October. Toronto at Detroit at Win at Washington rather uh, versus Pittsburgh, Arizona, Dallas, Minnesota, at Buffalo, at St. Louis. November goes at Minnesota at Winnipeg versus uh, Vegas at home at Detroit, Vancouver at home, Win or why do I keep saying Winnipeg? They're not even on here. Uh, Pittsburgh at home, New Jersey at home, in Columbus, Philadelphia at home, Buffalo at home, in Columbus, in Chicago, San Jose at home. There are 22 games there. I, in the, 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 the ones that I have categorized as a coin flip are a little bit better, I have five games in there. I have Arizona, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Jose. Like, those are the ones that I'm like, yeah, those are those are ones that, like, Montreal should be in. And they should be trying to win those games. Not to say that they're tanking the other ones, but, like, the, you know what I mean. Like, those are the games that I think that we should see a, a, a hockey game that is very close between two very bad teams. Let's pretend that's too harsh. So let's say Montreal splits the two games that they have against Buffalo, so they add one there. And they take their first two games against the Red Wings, who I didn't count in the five for some reason, because they're a good team. 
Um, but Montreal tends to have Detroit's number when they shouldn't. So that gives the Canadians eight wins in their first 22 games. And let's say within the, the rest of the losses, let's say they pick up three overtime points. I'm just randomly coming up with numbers at this point, but these are all not unreasonable things that the Canadians could do. So let's say in their first 22 games, they go eight, eight wins. Let's see, what do they have left? 14, eight, 11, and three. I think that's what it is. So 19 points in their first 22 games. That's a, that's nearly a 71 point pace. So, and, and, and I, I mentioned that because what is, what did I say the Vegas line was? It was, it's at like 72 and a half. So they're right in there. That's, that's entirely reasonable for what can be expected of this team. It is difficult looking at the schedule where even when the Canadians have everything going for them, you know, with whatever is on this roster, it is really difficult seeing where the Canadians are going to pick up points this year because they are looking up and and if they're looking up in the, the, the Vegas odds, they are looking up at 29 teams who have better better chances than them to to gain points in this league. The really sad part is that a 71-point finish this year would be a 16-point improvement on last year's team. They could add the equivalent of eight wins this year and still finish bottom three. I'm not telling you all of this to bum you out. Or to say that there's no reason to watch this season because I don't think that's the case. It's just to put all of this into perspective. When you sit down and you watch the Canadians this year, find where if you're on if you're watching TSN, I think it's in the top left corner of your screen. Find wherever the score bug is on the broadcast and just put a piece of tape over it. <laughs> that's that's how you're going to be able to watch these Canadians this year and find some kind of value in what they're doing. Because you can't you can't look at this team who is not trying to be successful this year and in, and you can't watch them and expect them to win and intend on keeping any of your happiness intact. You I I'll tell you how I'm watching this team. I'm watching the young guys to see how they develop. Is Gooley the real deal? What kind of step forward does Harris take? Can Cole Caulfield put together a more consistent season? Yeah, we know he can score, but can he do it with more than half a season of regularity? Does Montreal have a top six center in Kirby Dock? I'm also watching the guys on expiring deals to see if Hughes can turn them into future assets. I think this is going to be one of, if not the last, big teardown year for this team. Not the last year of the rebuild, but the last time that we are seeing a vastly different team photo from October to March. And Hughes has a few guys he can cash in on. The Donoff, Monaghan, Drang, they, they can all fetch pretty good returns if they perform this year. A big And those are big ifs on Drang and, and, and Monaghan. You know, they have to perform. Which also leads me, you know, to one of the reasons I'm watching. Are the veterans holding back? The play of the young guys. Because, you know, a lot of what we saw last year, you know, 
it went south not because the young guys were playing all that bad. And I don't mean to pick on him, but like it, it was because the David Savards of the world. You know, I, I harp on this play constantly because it still bothers me the way that that young players are viewed in, in hockey from traditional hockey media. There was a game against Columbus last year where they're, Montreal's breaking out of the zone. And I believe it was, it was, was it Savard or Romanoff? One of them. Um, you know, he, Caulfield moves out of the zone and he, you know, from traditional eyes, he's flying the zone. He is trying to create too much offense and he's taking too big of a risk. And then I think it was, it was Savard passing the puck to Romanoff. He, it's a 10 foot pass for a player who's been in this league for years and he, he launches it into his shin pads. And Columbus takes the puck and they go back in and they score. And the, the whole, the intermission was like, Caulfield can't do that. He needs to be there protecting his guy. Are the defensemen who play on this team, who have been in this league for years, holding back the rest of this team? Not from winning, but from being successful in the things that they are able to do. Cole Caulfield's not a defenseman. He's not even a center. He's a winger. He's not supposed to be, you know the first man back on a back check. Cole Caulfield's never going to get paid to back check in this league. He's going to do it effectively from time to time. He's here to provide offense. David Savard is making money to play defense. So is Mike Matheson. So is Chris Weidman. You know? So that's that's what I'm looking for this year. Those are like the three big things that I'm looking for. Um... There will be reasons to watch this team this year. I think this team on some nights is going to surprise us because they they do have some pretty nice talents on this roster. But it is going to be a very lean year for the Canadians, and I hope there aren't too many like this ahead of us. It's not it's not fun. Um, if if they land Connor Bedard, it will change the course of this franchise for the next twenty years. Like I I can't like in my time watching. Hockey, you know, I started in about 2007 or 8, probably 2006, 2007. I think that was my first year. The, the Canadians have never really had this big of a chance at a generational talent. Yeah, they've had they've had high lottery odds. You know, the year that they picked Sergachev, I was there in Buffalo. They could have won the lottery to pick Matthews. Apparently, they were one ping pong ball away from winning winning the lottery. That could have changed the course of this franchise. I don't even know if that show exists. It, this show exists if they win that draft lottery. Um, if they land Bedard, all of this is worth it. If they land Fantilli, all of this is worth it. If they land any of the guys that are like, you know, very, very talented forwards at the top of this list, Montreal needs game-breaking talent. You get it by either drafting really well in the second, third, fourth rounds like Tampa Bay does and slash or you can you can bottom out and get a bunch of a bunch of players that way. I talk about this a lot but but remember the this the Canadian division season when the Canadians had an 11 p.m. Eastern start time in Vancouver for some reason cuz they had to start it at 8 o'clock on the West Coast. Um that game was one of the only like truly shared experiences that I had during the pandemic. Um, you know, we we all st- like we all stayed up for that game, and we and we we 
we shit posted through it and the memes were great and Montreal won which made it sweeter it, it, it felt like we kind of earned that by staying up that late and they won because that Vancouver was the only team Montreal regularly was able to beat in the regular season um you know, we were, despite the fact that, like, the next morning we were all miserable because the game ended at 2 in the morning, it was still enjoyable. I feel like that's going to be the vibe this year. Like, you got to find ways to have fun with this team. Otherwise, you're, you're just going to, you're going to end up miserable. And that can't, like, you know, there are better days ahead, but we have to get there. You get there by sticking to this process continuing to develop the young guys do not win at the expense of your prospects and you hope that at the end of it you come out a team worthy of winning a championship let's face it the canadians might not only one team wins the cup every year the goal is to put them in the best position to do that for the longest amount of time um you know, and if the Canadians ultimately one day they win a they win a cup, like this these will be the games that you look back on, um, you know, and you you'll laugh about the 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 times that Montreal was getting blown out by Buffalo six nothing at home. You know? I remember there I, I mentioned this weeks ago on the podcast, one of my one of my podcasting uh heroes. Not heroes, that's a dumb thing to say. Um you know, one of the podcasts I look up to is the distraction and and David Roth was talking about you know the 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 Nets teams that he remembers most fondly there was like the rebuilding you know where they were really really bad and then there was the team that was like on the process of becoming something and then there was the team that was legitimately trying to win championships and he remembers those second that second group of teams more like he 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 looks at those with the most fondness because it's just sort of like yeah you're just coming into your own you're figuring out what you have we're still in the first group, but it's going to become the second group pretty quickly. We're going to be looking back and, and you know, I think I think we're going to be there sooner rather than, than later. However, this season is going to be very, very difficult. Um, so focus on the long term. Don't tweet at Sens fans. You'll be fine. Um, really quick, let's do the opening day roster. Um, right as I started recording the 5 p.m. deadline for NHL teams to submit their opening day rosters for cap compliance passed, and Montreal's lineup is essentially set. Some notable inclusions. Caden Gooley makes the team. Great camp, like I said. Uh, no doubts. He's ready. Um, Arbor Jackai, he's not on the opening day roster because they had they had to paper transaction somebody so that tomorrow they can or on Tuesday they can put Paul Byron on LTIR. Um so Jagai's going down and he'll be back up. He's going to play Wednesday. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, and Yaroslavkovsky's there. And despite everything we've seen, he's given the green light to start in the NHL. Um, it's just a start that's guaranteed at this point. He'll get a little bit of a longer preseason, essentially. Um, and then they'll have to make a decision where to send him. I, you know, when they were told that when they brought, they brought these three players in to tell them together so that none of them thought they were getting cut. Um, you know, they said there are players behind you who are who are looking for a roster spot. And if, you know, if they outplay you, essentially, they're going to take your spot. So keep their feet to the fire a little bit. Like I said, I'm not I'm going to try not to hold this team accountable for the sins of, of past teams. Um, some notable exclusions from that opening day roster. Justin Barron was in the last round of cuts. 
he looked okay at the NHL level last season before his injury, but in camp this year, he just, he didn't have it. He looked lost. I think playing 20 minutes a night in Laval with Matthias Norlander is just a great plan B for him. Um, and a call-up option in the future if Montreal needs a body. Uh, Corey Schooneman, my second and last notable exclusion, he was placed on waivers. He cle- Was he placed on waivers today? No, he cleared waivers. He's back in Laval. Um, you know, he he wasn't great. Corey Schooneman's never like a kind of guy that stands out. He just kind of makes very smart plays. Um, I figured he was just going to be a nice depth option for Montreal, but I think claiming... Jonathan Kovacevic makes Schooneman redundant, so it makes sense that he gets cut. From what I could see, Jonathan Kovacevic, a lot of his AHL like player cards, the analytic cards that have red and blue on them, there's a lot of blue on them. And, you know, I'm not throwing cold water on that, but it's a different league. We need to see how it translates. For now, like my, the way I'm looking at him, he is very big right-handed Brett Kulak. Um... And remember, Brett Kulik, when he first got to Montreal, he didn't play right away. He, he, you know, he wasn't a, a regular in Montreal immediately. He became Brett Kulak over time. Um, and I think that's where I kind of see Kovacevic. He's 25. He hasn't totally figured it out yet. Um, we'll see. It's a, it's a nice option for Montreal to have. Um, injuries. It sure is a great thing. The Canadians play eight meaningless games of contact uh, hockey before the regular season begins, and guys are just completely banged up before um, any of the games that matter. The It's never a good thing when Montreal tweets a thread of an injury report, but that's what happened on Monday. Uh, we'll start with the bad part of it. Yoel Armia is out one or two weeks with an upper body injury. He left midway through his last preseason game. He was placed on IR, which makes sense because, you know, if you're on the IR, you can't come back for a week. He's out for two, so it makes sense. Um, Emil Heineman has a thumb injury. He's out six weeks. It may complicate things with his can't-go-to-Laval clause in his contract, where essentially, like, if he goes to Laval, he can just go back to Europe. I don't know how the injury plays into that, but his six-week timeline has him coming back at some point towards the end of November. Um, So we'll see. This one's the scariest one for me, honestly, just from a watchability standpoint. Uh, Mike Matheson is day-to-day with a lower body injury. If he's out for an extended period of time, we may see crooked numbers from the, the Habs opponents. He's, I think he's their best defenseman this year. Um, it was already going to be tough with Joel Edmondson out, but you know this basically makes David Savard the, the, the minute muncher on, on the back end for the Canadians. The scariest part about it, at this point, he's listed as day-to-day. Marty St. Louis said he's he doesn't know if he's going to be ready in time uh, for Wednesday's opening night game against Toronto. Um, Paul Byron, as I've noted, is most likely headed to the long-term injured reserve, and there are thoughts that he's never going to play again. Uh, there are too many players from that era of the Canadians who have lost their careers this way. And I'm not pointing fingers because that's just how hockey players are. It's just a massive bummer that 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 era of the Canadians was the closest we ever got to a Stanley Cup. And the the toll that it took on their bodies was just ridiculous. You have to wonder, like, what they were playing through. It's barbaric. It shouldn't be happening. Um, You know, it feels odd to, like, eulogize Paul Byron when we don't really know whether or not he's going to play again. But um, as it pertains to the Canadians now, as I said, Arbor Jacki was sent to Laval. 
at around 5 o'clock on Monday as a paper transaction so that the Canadians could put Byron on LTIR. Um, Jack Eye is not even reporting to Laval, if I've understood that report correctly. He's just staying in Montreal and will be called up again before you know the game on Wednesday night. Um, the good injury news, that is. Suzuki, Hoffman, and Dvorak all practiced Monday morning. They were all dealing with some stuff, but that likely means that they're going to be ready to go in the season opener on Wednesday. Um, Joel Edmondson resumed skating. Rehab is progressing, but there's still no timetable for his return. Skating is always a good sign, but it sounds like we're not really all that close to seeing Edmondson in NHL games, um, which is a shame because that's how it went last year, right? Like he had a back injury and we just never found out. We we never saw him until towards the end of the year and he played a couple games. Um, Those injuries, specifically the one to Armia, make sort of a false argument for keeping Slifkovsky in Montreal. I saw that that was kind of what people were leaning on. But at practice on Monday, after all the final cuts, Slavkovsky rolled out on a line with Doc and and Jonathan Drouin and Michael Pozzetta were alternating as extras. So if the Canadians needed a forward because Armia was hurt, they have Drouin and Pozzetta. Why keep Slavkovsky around? Slavkovsky is just playing because the Canadians want to see him play here. He's not playing because of an injury. Like that's If, if they needed a body, they had him. And if they needed another body, they cut, like, they. I think they cut three forwards today, including Jesse Ulonen, who, who could play in the NHL. Um, my fear, as I've stated, is that he, out, he outplays his projection in those nine games and the Canadians can't really send him, they can't find it in themselves to send him back to Laval um, beyond that tryout. I think the chances of that are pretty low. I think he'll go back to Laval, but it's still a, the big first test for this team's development philosophy. I need to stop trying to hold them accountable for what the last front office or what other front offices do. Um, these are different dudes and I will do my best to, um, you know, not, not jump to my first fear as, as what, what are they doing wrong with this player? He's not Kotkaniemi. He's Yuri Slavkovsky. They're different things. And with that, I think I'm done for today. I hope you enjoyed that one. It was long. Um, a lot of news just came out on Monday, and I just had to keep adding to this outline. It ended up being like 10 pages. Um, so thanks for listening. I'm really looking forward to this season um, because I get to watch it through the lens of, of how I'm going to create this show. Um, and on top of that, just you know how I analyze what the team is doing now to build a winner you know, five years from now. I hope you guys enjoy it. I try to put as much of this into, uh, as much as I can into this. I hope it comes through in the final product. If, if anything else, um, you'll know that I can talk for an hour. So if you need me to talk about the Canadians on anything, just, uh, DM me on Twitter. I'm back unlocked. Um, yeah, next time we talk, it'll be about regular season games. Um, Ooh, one last thing. I There are several opportunities this season where I will be on Game Over um, with Andrew Berkshire after Canadians games. I'll let you guys know when those are. Come listen. Come hang out in the chat. It's a good time. And you should be watching Game Over anyway. It's the best It's the best post-game content. I'm very um, appreciative that I get to be a part of it from time to time. Um, so you should be watching Game Over. So go watch Game Over. Um that's all I got. 
Follow me on Twitter at Maybe It's Ian, at Rabbit Habs for the very quiet blog. Um, the music you're hearing is by Fred Mug. You know the drill. Go to the description for his band camp. All right, next time we talk, it'll be about real hockey games. I'll see you guys. Bye.